Hi, you're listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan, Chicago. We're releasing our sermons so that no matter where you were Friday, you can enjoy a piece of Shabbat today. Say it with me. Shemitah, Shemitah. Um, it's a pretty amazing, fairly radical feature of the Jewish tradition that I think holds out a very powerful invitation for this moment as we are beginning to move into the next chapter of many of our lives and our collective life. So Shemitah, it means release. And it's mentioned in this week's Torah portion, actually not by name, but but here's what it says. Um, we begin to read this week, the very end of the book of Leviticus. And it begins, The parsha is actually named for that conspicuous word in there, Bahar Sinai. On the mountain of Sinai, God said to Moses, dot, 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 God, the character of God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land that I am giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath for God. And first Shabbat, this Sabbath is used as a verb, Vashavta. And then it's used as a noun, Shabbat, Ladonai. Shabbat is something first and foremost that you do. Resting is something first and foremost that you do. And then Shabbat becomes an actual concrete reality, a phenomenon. And we do this. We, we do this all the time. We do this in our personal lives. We are doing it right now. One day out of seven, we hit the pause button. We we disengage from work. We decide not to answer emails that we don't want to answer because it's Shabbat and I don't have to. We eat and we drink and we sing at leisure. We don't sort of schedule ourselves overly. We give ourselves permission to sing and to pray and to read books for pleasure. The Torah is really clear. Everybody deserves this day. It doesn't matter who you are, slave, servant, animal that works in the field, child, adult, everybody gets Shabbat. And the result is a a radical flattening of the social hierarchy, making our worth not dependent on our wealth, but on simply being human. That's what Shabbat is fundamentally about. Our worth is not dependent on anything other than our being a living, breathing soul in a body just like everybody else. And the Torah says individuals should practice this. This is good for you to do. It's the fourth commandment. But don't let it stop there. It is also imperative that the land get to rest. And so it says, on Mount Sinai, and it goes out, the Torah goes out of its way to say, on Mount Sinai, and this is going to be important later. One year out of seven, the land gets a sabbatical, a Shemitah. And if you're wondering, this actually is where the language of the sabbatical year and the idea comes from. A rhythm of one out of seven to reset fundamentally. And the Torah goes on to describe what Shemitah is, how to practice it, what it looks like. It says six years, go ahead and plant and sow your field and prune your vineyard and, you know, gather in the yield to you, Joe, Israelite farmer. However... On the seventh year, 
The land has a Shabbat. The land gets to rest, a complete rest. Do not plant your field. Do not prune your vineyard. Do not, you know, once once you do your final harvest, don't go back out and sort of like collect the aftergrowth or go and get the grapes that you might have forgotten on the first, you know, on the last uh, collection that you did. No. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. And so if you're wondering then, well, how on earth do people feed themselves for that entire year that you're not farming? The answer is you eat, this is again, quote Torah, you may eat whatever the land gives you, <laughs> whatever the land produces. You can take as much as you need, like for today. Um, and this is you, your employees, the servants and laborers who live with you, your cattle and your beasts may eat from the same yield. And so what becomes clear in this mitzvah of Shemitah is that it's both about rest for the land and it is also about rest for people. And it's about rest for the people who not only work the land, but who profit off the land. It's rest for an entire economy. One year out of seven, we teach ourselves that we are human before we are instruments of profit. We are human before we are part of an economy, of any kind of economy. Um, one year out of seven, the produce of everyone's field belongs to everyone because it belongs to no one, because it reverts back to its original owner, God. And if God owns the land, there's no such thing as my house or your house, my field, your field, the money that I make off of my produce. Guess what? For the Shemitah year, it's not my produce. It's God's. And we're all entitled to a little bit of it. And we all are able to walk around and pick the vegetables and fruits off of each other's trees. And so are our animals, our cattle and our dogs and our cats. And we gather what we need to live and not more. In the words of Rebecca Minkus-Lieberman from Orot, she writes, the Shemitah year is a release from the compulsion to grasp for more, to stockpile, to hoard and save for later, a release from exerting control over the life of one another, even a release from planting and planning. Now, of course, this was written in a time of a much smaller, more agrarian economy, but you know, like use your imagination. Could you imagine if the whole neighborhood had fruit trees and gardens and just being able to freely walk from house to house and pick fruits and vegetables and know that other people are doing the same thing in your garden? Like imagine, I don't know, how friendly we might be to one another if we were seeing each other on each other's land and property regularly. Could you imagine also like the emotional and psychological shift that we would all need to internalize in order to do this, that we are not bound by our socioeconomic status and that the way the economy is structured is actually not how it need be structured, right? One year out of seven, we break all of the habits that we get locked into in terms of the way that we think everything is supposed to work or has to work or the way things have to be, right? Imagine an economic reset that would, that would take place if we truly let the economy come to a grinding halt and simply relied on one another to be cared for. And the thing is, we don't have to imagine what it would be like to have the economy come to a grinding halt. This past year, it did. 
But instead of being like the Shemitah year, right, bringing the poor and the wealthy closer together, both in resources and in life experience, creating opportunities for rich and poor to engage in the same kind of work to feed their families, instead of instead, the past year exacerbated all of the same fault lines that we already knew were systemic issues tearing away at the fabric of our society. As you know, the sickness and death rate of COVID was two and three and four times higher in Black and Indigenous and Latinx communities than in white communities. And job loss was far more pronounced and devastating for people who are already financially insecure. Public schools were closed while private schools managed to stay open. People with money did not suffer as much during COVID as people who had less. Instead of this year of dormancy for some being a Shemitah year, bringing more equality and more equity into the society, which is what Shemitah is designed to do, this past year made all of the divisions in society even worse. And so here we are on the tail end of a year that could have been a Shemitah year, but wasn't. We are now looking at the prospect of our city's reopening, and we have the opportunity to ask ourselves, what might it look like to bring a little bit of Shemitah into our lives in the year to come? What might that look like? And it's a very good time to ask that question because it turns out Jews have been observing Shemitah consistently since the time of the Torah. It's actually, it's on the calendar every seven years. I happen to have actually been in Israel one year during a Shemitah year, and you knew it. You felt it. Um, it changed farming. And we are coming up on a Shemitah year here, well, everywhere, this Rosh Hashanah. Um, the Shemitah year is, is on its way. And, you know, in order to do what, uh, what I described, it doesn't just happen. It happens with an immense amount of preparation and foresight and um, a kind of collective soul stock taking of how it is that we are going to support each other during a time when we are investing far less in commerce. How might we do that and planning for it? And so, especially in diaspora, we can think creatively about this. And so I just want to think about it for a second here. Collectively, also, my neighbors are being real loud, so sorry if it's coming through. Um, is it okay? Great, okay. All right. Okay, so Shabbat. Shabbat is something we do as individuals, and I described, I described it to you earlier, you know, as this sort of radical social, social hierarchy flattening for one day, but it's, you know, it is a choice. You opt in. Shemitah kind of only works if everybody's in on it. Or rather, Shemitah is a communal mitzvah. The whole system of relying on each other for what we need really depends on everybody putting in. You know, otherwise you have the situation of the tragedy of the commons where everybody thinks that somebody else is doing the work and then in fact nothing happens and nothing changes. If everybody excuses themselves, you know, because of their right to individual freedom during the Shemitah, then nothing changes. 
and we don't actually bring the humanity back into our collective consciousness and certainly not into our economy. So this morning, I asked the minion goers in our regular morning minion what they thought Shemitah might mean, what it could mean for us going into this year. And um, I just wanted to share some of their answers with you because they were brilliant. And I hope that this kind of starts an internal conversation for you and a community conversation for all of us. What might a Mishkan Shemitah look like? All right, so here were some suggestions. Buy books and clothes and food at local independently owned stores. So like shorthand, boycott Amazon. Really hard. But you know what? Shemitah is really hard but we all figure out how to support each other through it. Okay, participate in CSAs, Community Supported Agriculture Farms. We live in the, I live in the Midwest. Wherever wherever you happen to live, summer is a great time for CSAs. You don't always get the fruits and vegetables you might've bought at the grocery store, but you do get interesting stuff and it does teach you how to flex your muscles of cooking and creativity. So consider that. Rather than having your first thought to be buying things online, what would it look like to post and to request in like the neighborhood free store or mutual aid neighborhood group. Um, Those of us who have kids are very familiar with the economy of sharing that happens among people who've outgrown clothes and toys and posted online and people, imagine doing that with everything. (laughs) Finally, well, one more thing, and this is something that members of the Mishkan community are actually working on in Illinois, I know this is happening in other states as well, closing tax loopholes that benefit the wealthy so that states can actually have more money to work with to finance programs that help the vulnerable. Finally, what would it look like to just live a little more slowly? You know, so like one of the lessons of Shemitah is take what you need now, you know? Don't hoard, don't stockpile. Take what you need now and and have faith that you'll be sustained, which is really hard. I I have, you know, the DNA, uh, the sort of epigenetic DNA of the Great Depression and refugee, you know, being a German refugee, like wanting to know that I'll have what I need tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But what would it look like to trust that we actually have what we need? The earth provides, our friends provide, our families provide, and that like we can actually take care of each other. It means living a little less efficiently. One of the big fears I have, honestly, as the world opens up is that I will be swept up in the race for efficiency and productivity and speed and that things will return in my life to the pace that they were at that I didn't actually even realize before was unsustainable. But that for a moment to catch my breath, which was, a, which was a privilege, I should say. Not everybody had the opportunity to even do that. But in this moment, we actually have a choice of how we want to proceed as we go forward. How might we hold each other's humanity at the forefront? How might we not rush headlong back into the same pace that we were living at before all of this, but actually internalize the invitation of Shemitah? to live a little more slowly, to live with greater trust in the earth and in each other, and to remember that each one of us has worth not because of 
whatever our contribution is to wealth, but actually because of our intrinsic being. And that we derive strength from the land and the land derives its strength from us and that we derive our strength from each other. And that's kind of what it means to live on God's earth, in God's world during a Shemitah year. But that that consciousness is supposed to actually teach us how to live all the time. So I don't have a big fancy ending. What I have is the invitation that you take this and I'm curious to know what you do with it. I'm curious to go back and read the Facebook comments later. Come on back, everybody. Um, what might a Mishkan Shemitah look like in this coming Shemitah year? What might it look like for you? What might it look like for all of us? You've been listening to Shabbat Replay on Contact High, a podcast from Mishkan Chicago. If you enjoyed this sermon and want to join us live, tune in to Shabbat services through Facebook most Fridays of the month and through Zoom two Saturday mornings a month. Our schedule of services and programs can be found at mishkanchicago.org events, where there's also a link to donate and support our work. And you can visit us on Facebook or Instagram at Mishkan Chicago. Until then, please feel free to subscribe and leave us a review. As always, we want to hear from you. This episode has been brought to you by me, Zach Weinberg, our editor and producer, Hannah Rehack, our rabbinical team, Rabbis Lizzie Heideman and Dina Cowens, and our director of communications, Ashley Donahue. On behalf of Teen Mishkan... Thanks for tuning in.